0: Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. You can find this scripture in the Pew Bible on page 754. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever.
1: You ever had one of those situations where you needed to like fully rely on someone else? Like fully, like you weren't going to make it unless you relied on someone else. So I think, I mean, I think we could probably say yes, but it becomes pretty infrequent when we're adults. Um, as I mentioned earlier in announcement, I have little kids at home. It becomes a little more obvious when you have little kids at home that they need to fully rely on other people. Right, And I was thinking about the beginning of this summer, and uh, Ander, our four-year-old, uh, he's our youngest, and our pool opened in our neighborhood, and it was a very exciting moment because the pool's been closed for you know, a year and a half with COVID, uh, so our kids have, have driven past this pool every day on the way to school, and it was closed, and it was like torturing them as they drove past this beautiful-looking pool with no one there. So it finally opened, and the kids decided we need to go day one. Uh, we need to go to the hour that the pool opens, and we want to see if we can be the first people there. And we did it. Woo. <laughs> but it was very, very exciting in our house. So they got all ready. They got their stuff on. They have their, their swimsuit on and, and their swim shirts. And they got uh, Ander, our youngest, he's four. He's got one of those little life jackets with, like, the chest thing and the arm you know, the cute little thing. You know what I'm talking about. They're adorable. Uh, so he's got that on, and, and we live close enough to walk. So we're walking down the street, and we walk over there, and, and the kids are all excited. And the older two, they jump right in. They get to be the first kids in the pool. And Andrew's a little more hesitant. Now, given he's he's gone to lakes and stuff in the last year, but he hasn't gone, like, pool swimming for what seems like forever to him. He's four, it's been 18 months, right? So uh, it seems like it's his whole life that he's never seen a pool uh, up close. So he goes in, and he's got all the safety stuff on, but as you can imagine, a little four-year-old, he starts kind of flailing in the water, and, and it doesn't matter how tall of a four-year-old you are, you're probably not touching in the, in the shallow end. Uh, so he's floating with just the life jacket, and he's kicking and splashing and, and starting to really, like, kind of panic. Uh, as you can imagine, you know, this look kind of comes across his face like he has no hope left in the world. Uh, his, his parents have abandoned him in this giant pool uh, and he is just flailing for his own uh, life and his arm floaties are only doing so much. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's just panicking and, and the water splashing and everything. And, and this realization comes across his face that he cannot help himself in this moment there is nothing that four-year-old ander can do in this moment i mean he could swim well but nothing within his own control uh, that he could do that he has learned how to do to save himself and this seems very natural to us because he's four right so what does he do he's got one option left what do you think he does He calls for mommy and daddy, right? And of course, mommy and daddy are right in the water. We are less than an arm's length away. uh, And we pick him up and and hold him and comfort him. And as the summer goes on, he gets more comfortable in the water. And now he jumps off the sides and, oh, look, I can get my head under the water, uh, you know, and all this stuff. But at some point, I think as adults, we've lost part of that natural reaction that kids are so good at that when life gets hard when life gets overwhelming when like jonah we find ourselves in the belly of the beast and it's overwhelming and and there's nothing we can do and and this this realization floods our faces in the same way there's nothing i can do right now to get myself out of this situation That sometimes what we as adults do is we start to look at our own life's circumstances and we start to decide if God cares for us or not, if God likes us or not, if God loves us or not. Instead of calling out to our Heavenly Father to save us when life has become so overwhelming and and we know we can't save ourselves, we, we look at our circumstances and try to use those to define who God is. Like, like what's going on in our life really has precedence of defining what God's character is, what, what God is actually like. Are You following what I'm saying here? It, it's like we, we, we panic, and in the panic, we decide that, we're, that our God must not love us. That there's no way our God is solely in arm's reach away, that our God is right there, that our God is capable, that our God is mighty and strong and and is willing to be with us, and we lose our reaction to call out to our Heavenly Father. So today we're going to look at Jonah chapter 2. This is the third week in this preaching series on Jonah, uh, and it does rely on the other two a, a decent amount, not a lot, so if this is the first one you've heard, you won't be totally lost. But if it is the first one you heard, I do encourage you to look back and listen to the other sermons, because it will uh, make more sense in order. Uh, But we've kind of been reading the book of Jonah with this this mindset that says the book of Jonah is not just some ancient book. Uh, This is not some book that is only meant to be read uh, to children. There's deeper lessons here that this isn't a, a book that adults are supposed to read. It's not Um, only kind of the veggie tales story of Jonah, if you will. Uh, I heard another pastor do a series on Jonah and and he kept referencing that this was a rescue effort (laughs) to rescue the book of Jonah from the vegetables and to bring it to the adults. Uh, So that this could be a rescue effort here. How can we how can we read this book uh, as adults and, and see what is actually going on and not just oversimplify everything, not, not just take it and say, uh, oh, here's a good moral lesson, you know, be nice to other people, but, but actually look deep at what's going on. But, but what we do, what happens when we do that, is that the book of Jonah is meant to be read like a mirror. Uh, it's meant to be read like, like we read it, and, and Jonah just doesn't seem that lovable, he doesn't seem that likable, it makes you start to question what are the qualifications, to be a prophet in the first place? Because uh, he doesn't seem to love people, and he doesn't seem to trust God, uh, and he runs away. And, and as we read it, we start to think, wow, this Jonah character really is quite foolish. I don't think I like him. And then as soon as we get there, the, the book has this way of, of turning the mirror on, and instead of seeing Jonah, we start seeing ourselves in the story. We start seeing how we interact with other people we start seeing how we interact with God when God calls us to do something and we are not faithful and we run away and we, and we think that that if we just get a, in a, in a boat of our own making and sail far enough away that somehow God's going to forget what what he's been telling us to do so so the book of Jonah is is both this account that we read about a, a prophet in the Old Testament but it also is this mirror into our own lives So chapter 2, Jonah is in the belly of the beast. He's in the belly of the fish. We're told he's there for three days and three nights, and he is in this place of darkness. Um, and he does what any one of us would do. So he's, he's been sinking in the water. God has provided this big fish. He, he swallows them, and he does exactly what you and I would do, and that is, he creates a beautiful work of Hebrew poetry and recites it to God. Right? That's what we would naturally do. We, we would be in the fish, so they that. I mean, we'd we'd create beautiful poetry, uh, and, and we would present it to God in prayer. Uh, of course, I'm I'm joking. We would probably panic, but that is what Jonah does, uh, and and it's. Really, the rest of chapter 2 is all this beautiful prayer-slash-poem that Jonah makes, and he quotes many, many uh, other Old Testament texts. As he does it, he knows his scripture well. Um, But what we can use this poem for, uh, and how I want to encourage you to be thinking, is that this is a poem made by one of God's people who is in a desperate, desperate situation. He's in a, in a moment of life that is so, bigger, so much bigger than himself. He, he is not capable of doing anything to get himself out of this situation. And in that, he creates this poem. So when we experience those same moments in life, uh, I think we can learn something from uh, how this works and what Jonah says and, and uh, what we can learn from this text. So that's, that's the lens, if you will, that we're going to look at it today. Is, is one of God's people... And in that person's story, they have come to this moment of crisis, and this is how they call out to God. This is what they say to God in the midst uh, of the crisis, when they've hit rock bottom, when they're at the end of themselves. So before we go right into the text, I want to get uh, a couple things out of the way. One is this, we know that Jonah is there because of his own disobedience. Right? We know this from early on uh, in the book of Jonah. Jonah has turned away from God. He has fled. He has uh, gone away. And now Jonah finds himself uh, in the belly of the beast, and it's of his own making. But that's not always the case in our lives. And we can see that in other places in Scripture. So take Daniel, for example. We know him from the VeggieTales version of Daniel in the lion's den, Right? Uh, so, Daniel is uh, also in the belly of the beast, if you will. He is in exile. He's in Babylon. Uh, but Daniel seems like a really good guy. When we read the book of Daniel, he seems to do the right things. He turns to God. He prays to God. He, he relies on God. He's, he's really kind of a stand-up person. But, but we learn in the book of Daniel that he's not there because of his own sin, because of his own issues. He's actually there because of what his parents did. He's there because of what previous generations did, and other people's sin have kind of overflowed onto him, and he now finds himself in the belly of the beast, if you will, because of of sin in the world, Uh, and he finds himself there. And there's other places also in Scripture where where there just doesn't really seem to be an answer. There doesn't seem to be anyone to blame. Um, it it's, makes it seem a little easy. Um, I, I picture like the religious leaders that come to Jesus and say, Who sinned that, that this man would be blind? Was, was it him or was it his parents? And, and there's times where it's neither. That would just, for some reason, some, some circumstances has come up in life, and, and maybe we're tempted to blame ourselves, maybe we're tempted to blame others, but, but we just find ourselves in these hard places, and it's just the reality of our world. Uh, it's, it's just what happens sometimes. So the question becomes, what do you do? And I know that when people, that there's this amount, that gather, I, I know that as we gather, statistically, some of you are feeling like that's right now. Uh, some of you are feeling like like you are hearing this sermon and you are currently in the belly of the beast. Uh, so hopefully this is good news to you. Hopefully this is some direction. And if that is not you, uh, thank God that is not you. And... Uh, Learn, because it will be you at some point. (laughs) That's just life. That's just kind of the guarantee of life. It's either you now, or you should be preparing for it, right? So uh, here we are. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, uh, going to chapter 2, verse 1. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. So we find Jonah in the belly of the beast. In Hebrew, it says big fish. If you ever wonder, is it fish, is it whale, what's going on? Hebrew says big fish. um, But if I'm not mistaken, I don't think biblical Hebrew had a word for whale. Uh, So... um, it's not like they're like, oh, that giant marine thing is a mammal, and therefore I'm going to give it a different name. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so like we do that, right? We're like, is it a, is it a whale or is it a fish? Uh, the, the Bible says big fish. Uh, I don't know if it necessarily matters, but there you go. Side note. Either way, he finds himself in not the best of environments. Right? <laughs> Thank you, Tana. Uh, but yet, it's still better than drowning. So remember, just previously, he was sinking and sinking and sinking, and he was, he was drowning, he was going to die, and, and now God has provided uh, a big fish, and it has swallowed him, and now he's in the belly of a big fish, and I'm assuming there's not much oxygen, um, and from this oxygen-deprived environment, he cries out to God in verse 2. It says, He said, In my distress." I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The first thing he does, the very first thing, is he calls out to his God. He calls out to the very God he has been running away from, the very God he has been denying. He now recognizes uh, that he needs this God, and he cries out to him. He cries out because he has nothing, because he knows he has no resources that can save himself, and he is brought to this place of being 100% reliant on God, and it's important for us to notice what God is doing here. Jonah cries out to God and it says, and God listened to my cries. He listened to the cries of the one that has been running away from him. The one that has been denying him. The one that has been denying his power and his influence in the world. Uh, He has come to this place and he cries out to God finally. And we are told that God listens to him. Verse 3. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Now, last week, we talked about Jonah's uh, seemingly religious, you know, apathy, Uh, and if you didn't hear that message, uh, go listen to it, but (laughs) it's good, do it self-promotion. Go on the church website, go on our YouTube page, whatever you want, find it. Uh, It's there. But it's about spiritual apathy. It's about when we turn from God, how often we get turned off from the things of God in our own mind, and, and then we can kind of coast through life not seeing what God is doing. And Jonah has been there up to this very point. He hasn't been seeing what God is doing, but here he actually comes to some awareness because Jonah says, you hurled me into the depths, talking to God. And now if Jonah was still spiritually blind, he would have said, these sailors that were good for nothing threw me in the water. Right? But he, he now sees that God is doing something, that God was acting in the world. So he knows God God has placed me here, not the sailors, threw me in. And he's starting to see God work Again, from this moment of despair, he can finally see with some clarity. Here's something that's really important. And if we miss this, I, I think we miss, uh, we risk missing a lot. So please, uh, if you've zoned out so far, uh, draw your attention back. There you go. Welcome back. Here it is. God is not concerned with making Jonah comfortable or happy. Let me say that again. God is not concerned with making Jonah comfortable and happy. That is not God's concern. That is not what God is working towards. God is interacting here with a different set of priorities. And God interacts with us with a different set of priorities than sometimes we want Him to. God does not always interact with us being concerned about making us comfortable and happy. Sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> but, but I think sometimes even people who are Christians, they can go through their whole life and they think that God is trying to make them comfortable and happy. And when you're not comfortable and happy, then God's not doing God's job. But God has a different set of priorities here. Here's how I heard someone else say this. God's aim, his highest priority is this, to call a people to himself, that includes you and me, To call a people to Himself and to mold them and to shape their character so that they come to understand the truth of who they are as creatures made in the image of their Creator. And that they come to discover the truth that they are not God. That is a much higher priority of God than to make us comfortable and to make us happy. Let me say that quote again. God's highest priority is to call a people to himself and to mold and shape their character so that they come to understand the truth of who they are as creatures made in the image of their creator and come to discover the truth that they are not God. And I would add this, that they come to understand that they make really poor captains of their own ships. See, when we, when we steer our own ships, when we point our ships in the direction we want, we, we tend to do this really convenient thing for us. We, we conveniently make the ship sail to whatever we think will make us happy. And we do that often uh, without any regard for other people. So so we'll sail to whatever makes us happy, even if it's at the expense of someone else. So so with this view of who God is, it's no question that in light of this, God may deal with us in ways uh, that bring us to the end of ourselves. Or God may, to say it in another way, God may allow us to experience the consequences of our own sin and not just make us happy and comfortable. So, so often we, we interact in the world, and, and we, we create messes as we go, and, and then we finally get some of the, uh, the reactions of that, some of the consequences of that, and then we say, God, why, why aren't you making this smooth for me? Isn't that your, your job, God? God? We never say this out loud. It sounds preposterous, right? It's not, it sounds like, of course, I don't think that. But, but somewhere deep inside, we feel like God is not holding up to his end of the deal. That the, why is my life not smooth? Why, why is nothing uh, going right? And, and maybe, maybe it's like Jonah, maybe you can point back to, to something else in your life. Maybe you're like Daniel and, and you can't and there's, there's something else, some other sin that's spilling over onto you, or maybe you just have no idea, but if if our initial assumption is that God just exists to help make us comfortable and and happy, then you're going to misunderstand what's going on. And you're probably not going to pray a prayer prayer like Jonah does here. Verses 4 through 6. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life from the pit. Brought my life up from the pit. Let me read these words again and see, uh, do, do these images have any hope in them to you? He says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Remember, he's sinking into the ocean. Down, down, down he goes. Seaweed is wrapped around my head. It's always kind of a funny image to me. I don't know. Maybe his head's down. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's just me. It just kind of cracks me up a little bit. Seaweed is wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. What what are the roots? They're the bottom of the tree, right? The, the, The very bottom. So he's going down to the bottom of where the mountains first start. He's going down. And he says, the earth beneath barred me in forever. These are all terrible, terrible things that are happening. These are terrible feelings when we feel them. Uh, in our in our walks on, on this earth. Um, but I don't think Jonah is alone, but Jonah might be alone in, this, uh, in the reality of these words, but I don't think Jonah's alone in these feelings. I don't think Jonah's alone in his experience of what's going on in his world. But then look at the second half of verse six, it says, "But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit." So in this, in this moment of complete hopelessness, where he has nothing left to do in his life but to drown and to pass away, God has brought him up from the pit. And, and if you remember, uh, in, in the previous chapters, we talked about this, this language in Jonah of going down. Everything is going down, down, down. He's going further and further from God as he see, sinks down in his own sin. He goes Uh, He decides he's not going to listen to God, and he goes down to Joppa. And then he goes down into the boat, and then he goes down into the water, and down, 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 and now he's down to the roots of the mountains. And what's actually being described here uh, in poetic words is that he is in a watery tomb. He's in the grave, is what he's saying. He has sunk down so far That Jonah has found himself in the grave. But verse 6, But you, Lord, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. All Jonah's doing in his own life is going down. But God is the one who reverses the course. God is the one who brings his life up from the pit, and it's in these moments where we're in the pit, or, or these moments where we're in the belly of the beast that have that this amazing way of stripping away this clutter in our life. I don't know if you've ever been there. These, these moments where you're not sure, honestly, honestly, you're not sure if you're going to make it. You're not sure what tomorrow brings. You're not sure what life will look like, and it has this incredible way of stripping away all of the clutter, stripping away all the things that really weren't that important in the first place. And we have this ability to become more aware of what's truly worth our time, of what's truly worth our efforts. Who in our lives Do we cling to in those moments? Those are the people. Those are the places. Verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So here's Jonah. He's on the brink of death, and he remembers God. He remembers all of god's gifts he remembers all of god's goodness he remembers all the things that god has done for him and and jonah is on the brink of death but he's filled with this gratitude for what life has brought he's filled with this gratitude for who god has been um an interesting place to be um and and what Jonah does is he looks towards the hot spot of his faith, you know, and he he's in the, the Old Testament world here, so he looks towards the temple, as the place where where God's presence dwells in a special way, and he looks towards Jerusalem, and and as Christians, I would say we have a different hot spot that we would look to, uh, a different hot spot of God's presence. In our world, it's probably not the temple. What do you think it is? It's the Sunday school answer. Anyway, somebody whispered Jesus. <laughs> Few people whispered Jesus. That's good. Sorry, I am interactive sometimes. <laughs> it's Jesus. That's the VeggieTales answer. But it's the real answer, right? It's Jesus. It's it's his love for us. So So... Again, when we're in these moments, what are our our eyes fixed on? Our eyes are fixed on Jesus, his love, his grace, his self-sacrifice. Because in that moment, it doesn't make any sense to look at anything else. So we look towards the cross, and we look towards the empty tomb, and we look towards God's love for each one of us. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Jonah has come to this place of turning back to God and and feeling God's blessing in that, and God is saving him, and, and then he starts talking randomly about idols, right? Or at least it feels that way to us. Why does he bring this up? Well, it's important that we remember that, that he's talking about those who turned, worthless idols turn away from God, and Jonah just very recently was running from God. So he very recently has been running from God, and he knows who he needs to turn to, what, what in his life he needs to turn away from, and he needs to seek God once again. Verse 9, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Being in these moments in life can at the same time be some of the worst experiences we ever go through as people, but also if they cause us to turn to Jesus, they can be some of the best experiences. They can be some of the most impactful experiences. So, so they may not be best in that they're joyful, but they're best in that they're the most important. That, that they're experiences that, uh, that can point us towards God in a way that, that other things just aren't able to do. They can point us towards Jesus, point us towards his life on our behalf. They can point us towards his death for us, point us towards his resurrection so that you may be invited into this new life. Now, in case you haven't read ahead, I I joke because you know where the book of Jonah is going. But in case you haven't read ahead, this is not the end of the story of the book of Jonah. It would be a very short story, and it would end in tragedy. So The belly of the beast was not the end of Jonah's story, but it was this pivotal moment. This moment where Jonah needed to turn from his old ways and turn uh, towards God in recognition of who God was. And I think that's true for us, too, that whatever you're going through, this is not the end of your story. This is not the end of of where this is all going, but it may be, it may be an opportunity to turn your attention to Jesus like you never have before, to reconnect with him, to lean on him. He loves you. And he's right there in the water with you. I'm picturing once again the four-year-old struggling, and, and not to downplay what we're going through, but, but to, to play up how powerful and, and capable and mighty our God is. That, that he's in there, in the water. That he's right there. And he's ready to pick you up. And he's ready to hold you. And, and he's ready to comfort you and, and to strengthen you and to empower you and, and to train you up in how to, to do this and, and to send you back out to be, a, I don't know, a strong swimmer <laughs> in, in the months ahead. And, and he, he loves you. And he doesn't want to leave you in the pit. And it's so important. Um, I think that, that we can learn some of these lessons of what Jonah does here when he finds himself in this moment, because these moments come up. Um, so, so here's my assignment to you in the week ahead, especially if you're one of these people that are in this moment. Is I encourage you to go to Jonah chapter 2 yourself and just read this prayer. And, and then the second time, I want you to pray this prayer. Scripture has this amazing way that sometimes it speaks words that we don't know what to say. Uh, but but they're written down, and they're written down by, by people who have followed the same God that we follow, and sometimes they can speak in ways that we can't. So that is my uh, encouragement to you all today.